Shem Hashem Naseh V'Natsliach, Shur Torah. Great to uh, be back here. Baruch Hashem, we were here a little over a month ago. Got a lot of good feedback, Baruch Hashem, from people that were here, people that watched it online. You know, it's a, uh, it always amazes me how when Hashem wants something to be spread, when Hashem wants Torah to get somewhere, it gets there. It doesn't matter whether we want it or not. It doesn't matter whether we think it could happen or not. It has nothing to do with us. We are only responsible for effort. Effort. That's it. You come to this world to exert effort. Ishtadlut. Mesirut nefesh. The execution, the actual outcome of anything, whether it succeeds or it fails, has nothing to do with you. Has nothing to do with you. Absolutely nothing. It's all Hashem's hands. Only thing you can do is try. You try to wake up in the morning. You try to go pray. You pray. You do it. But whether Hashem decides to accept this prayer or not, it's up to Him. And that's one of the things that it amazes me all the time is that all of our prayers are being answered when we're trying to do Zikwela. And we try to reach different people. Sometimes it takes a little longer than others. Sometimes it is a, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating because you see someone, such a beautiful soul, such an amazing person, but just going in the wrong direction. Poor guy, poor girl. It just, it breaks your heart that they don't know the truth. It breaks your heart that they're blind, but they don't even know it. And the worst type of sick person is a person that doesn't know he has a disease. Because then he's just wasting his life. Instead of going and enjoying life, trying to figure out the purpose of life during his last moments, what does he do? He goes to work. And he works overtime planning for a vacation he's never going to see. So when I see people like this, and I see them just wasting their life, going from you know, uh, a life of just that goes from vacation to vacation, without actually living without actually enjoying themselves, and pretty much already starting to suffer at the end of the vacation. Thinking about how it's going to be a really long time before the next vacation. They worked a year to get to this vacation. Finally, they got to the vacation. Three days after the vacation started, and they still have four or five days left. But three days after the vacation started, they're already thinking about everything back at home. Oh, I'm going to have to go back at home. And I have to go work again. And until my next vacation, until I come back here again. And they're already suffering. When? During the vacation. Why? Because the reality of it is that they're worried about the right... They have the right amount of worry, but they're worried about the wrong thing. Meaning, like my friend David Pruitt said, is that it's good that you're worried about having fun. It's good that you're worried about being fulfilled in life. It's good that you're worried about being happy or making other people happy. The problem is that you're trying to do it the wrong way. You're trying to do it by creating your own instruction set or a man-made instruction set that says that you have to go somewhere different from where you are in order to enjoy yourself. Like you can't be where you are in order to be happy. So the bigger question for anyone that actually thinks about this with a little bit of depth is if you can't be happy where you are, why are you there? Why don't you just move to the place that makes you happy? If you can't be happy living wherever you live, and but you can be happy going somewhere else, why don't you go there? So then you tell me, wait, maybe I can't afford it. Maybe I can't afford to, let's say, for example, people that want to live in Israel. Israel is beautiful. Israel is holy. And I'd like to go there. So go live there. But I can't live there. Are you happy where you are? Are you happy in America? No, I hate it. 
So why don't you go live in Israel? Go back to the same question. And I tell her, well, because I can't afford it. Okay, so what do you enjoy so much about Israel? Well, when I go there, I go to the restaurant, and I go to this, and I go to that, and I go to do all these things. I'm like, yeah, but that's not real life. In real life, you can't go to the restaurant every five minutes. In real life, you can't go to the beach every time. You have to go to work. You have to do something. So in reality, you're enjoying a vacation. You're enjoying something that's not real. It's temporary. So look at it as temporary. Don't look at it as, oh, I'm missing out on something. You're not missing out on anything. Anywhere you go on a vacation, you're going to have fun. The question is, how can you get yourself to a point where you can have fun every day? How can you get yourself up to a point where you can enjoy every single minute that you live? The question is a good question. The answer is much more difficult. The answer requires us to completely reinvent ourselves. Completely change our mindset of what we actually think is possible, what's not possible, what we can do, what we can't do, and what we're willing to do. And this Mishnah in this Perkeavot series that we have, I believe this is number 20, Mishnah Tet, Perek Bet Mishnah Tet, it's a Mishnah that, uh, you know, there's several different versions of whether the Mishnah is only a couple of verses or many more. We're going to take the opinion that it's a shorter Mishnah because there's so much to cover that if we would try to cover the entire Mishnah of how it's uh, known as to be, it would be at least a 9 or 10 hours year. And I know you guys are only willing to give me a couple of hours. So, Bezat Hashem, Nasev Also, before I forget, this uh, shiur will be to Ilui Nishmat, Zohara, Bat Gohan, and Chaim. May Hashem raise them to the place that their family wants them to be. And may Hashem give us understanding of what we need to do in order to get to a better place. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai kibel mehilel umishamay. Hu haya omer, im lamad Torah arbe, al tachzik tova le'atzmecha, ki lechach nozarta. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai received a tradition from Hillel and Shammai. He was accustomed to say, if you have studied much Torah, do not take credit for yourself, because that is what you were created to do. So, in a plain, simple pshat of this Mishnah, Chazal is telling us, of course, that they got it from Mount Sinai, Go study Torah, study a lot of it, and don't make yourself into a big deal. Whether you know a lot, or what you think is a lot, it's no credit of yours at all. Because the only reason that you were brought into this world is to learn Torah. It's not to work, it's not to be an engineer, it's not even to be a wife or a husband. It's to learn Torah, it's to fulfill the Torah. So if you know a lot of it, or what you think is a lot of it, don't pat yourself on the back. This is a little bit discouraging for some of us, because we study for a half hour, we already think that, Shh, I studied a half hour today. Especially I tell people to start doing tshuva, start like I did, 15 minutes a day. 15 minutes a day, if you study every day, Bezat Hashem, your tshuva will be real. Your tshuva, your tshuva will survive. No Torah, or once in a while Torah, like a once a week I come to a shiur type of Torah, tshuva doesn't last. 
Tshuva doesn't last. Or it's a tshuva that's like 50-50 tshuva. I keep Shabbat, but I steal during the week. I keep Shabbat, but my wife wants to divorce me because I cheat on her every, every day. I keep mitzvot, but I'm the guy that goes to the casino with the beer and the hat too. You understand? So it's, it's not a real tshuva. It's not a real tshuva. So it's either real or not. Why do we need to know if it's real or not tshuva? Because there's a gemara that a lot of people misunderstand, and I heard a nice chidush recently from Rav Nisim Yagen, Zechat Tzadik V'Kadosh Livacha, who said, in the times of Mashiach, the prophets say, and the uh, Chazal says, that it's, the Mashiach cannot come. He will not come unless it's a generation where everyone is righteous or everyone is wicked. The Chazal asks, wait a minute. We know that it's not possible for everyone to be righteous. It's not possible. We're lucky if we have ten. Like Avraham Avinu was praying to Hashem, please save Zdom if there's ten righteous people. Hashem says, I'll save it if there's ten righteous people. Unfortunately, there wasn't. Our Zdom today is called Las Vegas. There's other places that are mini Zdoms, but that's the famous one. For ten righteous people, Hashem will save it. Avraham didn't have it. To say a whole generation of righteous people, everyone is righteous, it's far-fetched. But on the same token, everyone wicked? Nah, come on, no. Even in the time of Nimrod, Nimrod, the Rasha Merusha that started idol worship, the generation of Avraham Avinu, he said either worship the idol, which is me, or I'll throw you into the fire. What did Avraham do? He jumped into the fire. Because the people that tried to throw him in, they went on fire. The fire was so big and so powerful that it burned them. But it didn't burn Avram. Avram is standing over there and said, No, so come on, you're going to pray to me then? He goes, No. He jumps into the fire. All the angels, Michael, Raphael, Gabriel, pray to Hashem, Hashem, look at your servant Avram. He's jumping into the fire just not to violate your name, desecrate your name. Please let us save him. Hashem Itbar says, no. You won't save him. He is alone in the world. He's the only one that believes in me in the entire world. Millions and millions of people. Only one guy believes in me. And just like there's one of him, there's only one of me in heaven. I'm going to save him myself. And Hashem Yidbarach himself went, goes over there, and he saves Abraham Avinu, and he walks with him in the fire. What that means, we don't know. All we know is that they're walking hand in hand in the fire. So we know that a generation of complete, fully wicked people, it's not possible. So how's the Mashiach going to come? The answer is, when the Mashiach comes, everyone at that point will already have to make a decision. Either you're fully righteous, or you're fully wicked. That's the answer. That's what the Gemara means. It's not that the entire generation needs to be righteous, or the entire generation needs to be wicked. 
is that if you want to be saved, you have to either be fully righteous or fully wicked. Now, fully righteous doesn't necessarily mean that each one of us has to be gdolado. Fully righteous means that you are exerting 100% of your effort to do Ritzon Hashem, to do the will of Hashem. You're doing everything you can to study as much as you can. And if your ability at this point, you just started doing tshuva, is 15 minutes, but that's 100% your full effort, you did tshuva. But if you're one of these people that can study six hours, but instead you play five hours worth of video games, and you study for an hour thinking that you're doing Hashem a favor, you have a problem. The times of the Mashiach are here. Mashiach can show up tomorrow, in a few days, in a few years. We don't know exactly. All we know is that according to the Gemara Masechet Abodazara, once he arrives, clock runs out. No more conversion, no more tshuva, no more nothing. You are what you are. If you're still deciding whether I'm going to keep Shabbat or not, because it's not convenient for my lifestyle, you run out of time. You won't have a second chance. There's no more Gilgulim, which we talked about two days ago. There's no more reincarnation. There's no more, oh, can you please do tshuva? Here, have a CD. There's no more. There's no more, oh, do you want to convert and do the will of Hashem? Or do you want to stay in Noahide, but at least righteous? Oh, let me think about it. Okay, think about it. Good luck thinking about it. Mashiach comes no more. The key is that we have to make a decisions of whether we want to be fake Jews or real ones. We want to do the complete will of Hashem or what we think is the will of Hashem. Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai is telling you here, first and foremost, you have to understand if you even want to have a chance, a chance, a small chance, of doing the will of Hashem, first you have to understand what's the will of Hashem. The will of Hashem, but not your will. As we learned in the previous Mishnah, make His will into your will, and He will make your will into His will. But what's His will? What does He want us to do? Rabban Yochanan is telling you what. He said, you came here to learn Torah. But learning Torah, obviously, is more than just learning a book. It's fulfilling it. To learn to do. So another thing that we notice about this Mishnah is that it starts with the word Rabban. So far in the first almost two complete chapters of this Birkei Avot, almost every single time, with a couple of exceptions, each time we heard a name, it was just the first name. Shmaya. Aftalion, Hillel, Moshe. We are just the first name. But here we get a description. Rabban. Now the Gemara explains that one of these names, why does he get a description? Because in this world, if you have a title, you're more important. If you're called Yehon, you're Yehon. If you're called Moshe, you're Moshe. you called Rav. Ooh, guys, automatically it's Sadiq. Automatically it's Sadiq. Got a beer too? Psst. It's possibly. Sadiq Nistal. It's a one that no one knows about yet. You have a title of a rabbi? Psst. Professional. You have a title of a doctor? Genius. 
title of an attorney, you know, they put the 18 titles on their business card that no one understands. Each one is $300 an hour. So it depends on many titles. You add the money. Get a title. Everybody wants a title. I remember in my business, in my business days, Baruch Hashem, Hashem took me out of it. That was probably the best mercy He's ever done for me. At least the one that I know about. And uh, I remember all my employees would constantly negotiate with me of what they're allowed to put on their business card. A title for themselves. Financial advisor, registered representative, vice president, senior vice president, director, all these titles, senior consultant, senior wealth management, it's all shtuyot. Anyone that sees a business card of someone in the financial services business, he sees the business card, he sees the title, you could just cross it off and put shtuyot. Nonsense. It means absolutely nothing. Everyone takes the same license, and some of them don't even have a license. Some people work with a license because they work through a, a, a self-regulatory system called FINRA. It used to be called an NASD. And some don't work through them. They work through the SEC. And through the SEC, you don't have to have a license. In so many words, meaning everyone's doing the same exact thing. They just call it a different name. The guy that's an insurance salesman, all of a sudden he's a wealth manager. He has 15 bucks in the bank, but he calls himself a wealth manager. The guy that's giving you stock advice calls himself a consultant or a director. He just got the job last week. He's 18 years old. He's already a consultant. Spell consultant, he doesn't know yet. He has to use a spell check. Tolstuyot. But I would have these guys, these young guys, come to me and negotiate. I want financial advisor. I want vice president. I want. And you don't even know how to spell vice president. I'm like, what, what do you care about these titles? He goes, yeah, you probably don't care because your card says president CEO. That's why you don't care. I said, yeah, but I built a business that got me to be president CEO with no title. So it's not really true what you're saying. Because yeah, but you're already president, you're already CEO, so that's why you're getting more business. The reality is quite different. Quite different. The world gives too much value to these titles. And the reality is that if you're so focused on your title, you're usually not focused on what the title is supposed to mean. If you're so focused about having a CEO under your name, you're probably not a good CEO. Because a real CEO doesn't care about a business card. Somebody else makes of him. He's too busy making money. He's too busy building a company. If you're so busy being a consultant, you don't have time to make a business card and thinking about how the business card is going to look and what's it going to say. You're busy being a consultant and helping people. If you're so busy trying to figure out whether people should call you Rav or Rabbi or the Rav Gaon or the Rav Gaon Mekubal or the Rishon Lezion Mekubal Gaon and Yada Yemina Shel Hashem, Malach Hashem and all these different things that people call themselves. The reality is sometimes quite different. A humbling story about Rabbi Moshe Feinstein is that one day, 
a father yells the, uh, after his kid, Moshe, Moshe, you know, a little kid running around, he's trying to stop him. Moshe, Moshe, don't go in the street. Moshe. And but Moshe Feinstein turns around, yes, yes, what can I do? He goes, no, Kvodarav, I'm sorry, no, I would never call Kvodarav. Moshe. Kvodarav. But Moshe Feinstein says, but I'm Moshe. That's his name. To him, he didn't understand why would, wouldn't Moshe be his name. Because the fact that he was Gdolador meant nothing to him. Because he knew this Mishnah. He says, all this Torah that I know, it's no credit that I deserve. Why? Because that's what I was created to do. You don't get an extra cookie for having two arms. You have two arms. There's no extra credit for it. You don't get an extra cookie for coming to work on time. You're supposed to come on time. That's what you're paid to do. But for some reason, we are constantly looking for extra credit for the basic things we're supposed to do. Oh, I went to Minyan every day this week. Good. Fine. What, what would you like for us to do? Clap for you? Do a standing ovation? Yes! What do you want to do? You came to Minyan. Oh, I donated money to the Beknesset. What are you looking for here? Well, you want the name because you donate on the, on the light? You know, sometimes people donate to the Beknesset. Why? Not because they care about the Beknesset. Because they want a plaster, a uh, poster on the wall. He donated $312 for this light bulb. 20 years the light bulb is there, it's already old, needs a new one already, but they still remember that the guy donated $320 for the light bulb. He donated for the sign, for everyone to know, not real, because he cares for people to have a light. So when we have a confused mind of what we're supposed to do, we look for credit. When we know what we're supposed to do, we focus on actually doing something about it. And that's one of the most important things that a person needs to know in life. If you're so focused on getting credit, in reality, you're never going to have a real reason to get credit for. And if you are getting so much credit for whatever good deeds you're doing in this world, you're going to be the most miserable person in the world when you get to Shemaim. Because they're going to tell you, oh my friend, you got so much credit, you got the building with your name on it. You got the kila that always shook your hand. You got the community that always praised your name like it was Moshe Rabbeinu of the generation. So all of the credit that you were supposed to get, you spent 99% of it in that world. This is the 1% you have left. Once you see the 1% that you have left and how amazing it is, you're only going to cry about the fact that you didn't have the whole 100%. You're only going to cry about the fact that someone even knew you actually did a mitzvah bechlal. Because if someone knows the true value of a mitzvah, they want to do everything they can to hide it. You give a donation anonymously. The don't you don't tell anyone you donated, and even if you want to get to the highest level of donation, you want to find a way that the one that received your money doesn't know you gave. That's the highest level of donation. There's a story about Yosef, a Kamtsan, a Kadosh. 
You guys ever hear about Yosef Akamsana Kadosh? Yosef, the holy stingy person. It's an interesting title, no? It was a rich guy a few hundred years ago. In a, in a real story, by the way. And uh, everyone knew this guy is the stingiest person on earth. People that would come to his house, he'd always walk them in, come in, have a seat. But the minute they asked for money, he would get furious. Throw them out of the house after embarrassing them. You come to my house to ask me for $100. You come to my house to ask me for $5,000 for your yeshiva, for your kids, for your this, for your that. How dare you? And he became known as Yosef Akamtsan. The stingy Yosef, because he had money, but he refused to give it to anyone. One day, he died. And he was hated so much by his keilah, that no one showed up to the funeral. No one showed up to the funeral. This is obviously... A horrendous situation. He didn't exactly leave such a good past. You know, and they say, you know, we say it actually on a tefillah. Tov shem, mishem and tov. It's better to have a good name than a lot of money. Shlomo Amelech said it. Because a good name lasts. Money doesn't last. It's just this life. And even this life, it's questionable if it's going to last. So he dies. No one shows up to the funeral and all of a sudden the day after the funeral all of these poor people show up at the rabbi's house knocking at his house tens and tens of people asking for tzedakah he says where'd you all come from? because we all live here what all of a sudden all of you went broke at the same time? he goes no we haven't had money for many years because so how did you survive until now? said, well, we don't really know, but we know that every time we go to stores, the stores would give us the money. The stores would give us the goods. We didn't have to pay. If I went to the store to buy milk, the guy from the milk company, would, the guy from the store that sells milk would give me the milk. But all of a sudden today I went and he said, I'm sorry. I can't give it to you. And the same thing with the next one, the next one, the next one, the next one. Now, the Rav was not a fool. And he's trying to figure out where did this money come from? So he goes to all of the merchants. He says, who gave you the money to pay for all these people? Why did you stop giving it to them? He says, well, I gave it to them because every week I would get an envelope with his name on it. And the envelope would have the exact amount of money of what he needs for his groceries, or what he needs for his laundry, or what he needs for whatever goods the guy was selling. And the envelope didn't come this week. Because who gave you the envelope? He goes, no, no, that's one thing I'm not allowed to say. I promise the person that's given the envelope, I'm not allowed to say. So he went to the next guy, the next guy said the same thing. I got the envelope, but I'm not allowed to say. I'm not allowed to say, I'm not allowed to say. Rabbi invited all of them to his house and says, I demand that all of you tell me who gave you the envelope. As a rabbi, back then they respected the rabbi. They all admitted it was Yosef. Yosef Akamsan. Immediately the rabbi started hysterical crying and started praying 
non-stop to do tshuva for all the things they said about him, thought about him. Yosef, why did you do this to us? And I'm not sure whether the story goes that he had a dream about him or he actually did one of these mystical things where he asked to be shown some type of answer from Yosef. But long story short is that he saw Yosef and he sees Yosef all wearing white, looking very holy in the next world. He says, why did you do this to us? Why did you pretend to be such a cheap guy when in reality you were feeding the entire community? He says, because I learned one time that if you want your mitzvah and you want all of it, you want to make sure that no one knows and on top of it, the receiver, the receiver doesn't even know who gave it to them and even the highest level that I did is I tried to make sure that the receiver hates me. And what was your reward for this mitzvah? He says, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov and David HaMelech came to welcome me to Olam Abba. David HaMelech was making the music and the Avot came to me and they brought me to Olam Abba. He says, but you know, I still miss one thing. There's only one thing I still miss about this world. Because what do you miss? I miss writing the envelopes. There's no envelopes in Olam Abba. There's no more chance for me to do more mitzvot. So that's when Yosef Akamtsan got the name Yosef Akamtsan Akadosh, the holy stingy Yosef. When we know the value of each mitzvah, we'll chase it like we chase money, we'll chase it like we chase treasure, we'll chase it like we're chasing something that's extremely valuable. And we're not going to really focus it about, we're not going to focus about whether anyone notices or anyone doesn't notice. But just in case, anyone that wants to know the difference between titles in, uh, in the Gemara versus today, it's very important to know. The lowest level is Rav. In today's world, it's the opposite. Highest level is Rav. Lowest level in Gemara is when someone's called Rav. Second is Rabbi. It's higher. Rabbi is higher than Rav. Third is Rabban. Rabban is higher than Rabbi and Rav. And the highest level is just the name. Why do they call Moshe Moshe? Why do they call Avraham Yitzchak and Yaakov? Avraham Yitzchak and Yaakov. Why do they call Avraham a tzaddik? Avraham a madim? Avraham a navon? Why don't they call them all these names? No name would be enough. Hashem called him Yosef a tzaddik. Hashem signed off on him that he's a tzaddik. And the reason why is because he passed the test that none of us can pass. He passed the test of not wasting seed on the most beautiful woman that ever lived except from Sarah. Potiphar's wife was a beautiful woman. They say she was one of the four most beautiful women that ever lived. And Yosef had every opportunity to be with her. She would change her outfit multiple times a day just to turn him on. And he almost got there, almost got to a point where he actually sinned with her. Until last minute, according to the Gemara, he saw the dmut of his father. He saw the image of his father. Now, 
when a man is aroused, it's not just so easy to just walk away. And even if you walk away, it's not enough. You're still aroused. You still have bad thoughts. You still have all these different things. Yosef knew this. He knew that he must kill his arousal. What did he do? He took his hands and he smashed them into the ground. In essence, breaking his own hands to such a point that there was a miracle that the semen came out of his body and out through his fingernails, according to the Gemara. So he doesn't sin with wasting seed. And for that, Hashem signed off, he's Yosef HaTzadik. And the Dmut, the Dmut, that his father, what does his father tell him when he saw him? He says, if you sin with Potiphar's wife, instead of being known as Yosef HaTzadik, you're going to be thrown out of the 12 tribes. You're not going to be considered one of the tribes. You're not going to be put, your name is not going to be put on the Choshen of the Kohen Gadol. And on top of it, you're going to be known forever as Yosef HaRasha. Big difference. Yosef HaTzadik, Yosef HaRasha. So, Rabban Yochanan is one level below the name. It's even higher than a prophet. Because a prophet, let's say for example, Shmuel, Shmuel Anavi, Samuel the prophet. When someone has just a name, meaning that there's even saying that he's a prophet is not enough. Even calling on you, that's why you don't, even though Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov were all prophets. Adam Rishon was a prophet. But you don't call them Adam Navi. You don't call them Avraham Navi. Avraham. So Rabban Yochanan was a student of Hillel. Who was a student of Shmaya and Aftalion. Meaning that his rabbis were higher than the prophets. Who were the students? He was the rabbi of Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos. Who was Rabbi Eliezer ben Holkinos' rabbi? Who is his student? Rabbi Akiva. Meaning Rabbi Akiva was Rabban Yochanan's student student. Rabbi Akiva, that all of us know about the example of tshuva, the epitome of tshuva, the one that reached, that reached according to Chazal, according to the holy books, the highest level of Kedusha in history. Four people, according to Gemara, Masechet Chagigah, page 14, four people went up to Shemaim to see things that we can't even think about. One died. One went crazy. One went off the derech. One became a kofir. They call him Achel. His real name was Elisha ben Avuya. But forevermore he was called Achel. Meaning the other. No longer considered a Tana, no longer considered holy. Went off the derech, became a kofir, became a heretic. Fourth one, Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva went up and went down even better. He saw something no one else is able to see. And he is Rabban Yochanan's student, student. Which rabbis do all of us know? Anyone at Sephardic knows this. Anyone at Sephardic mother knows this. No? Throw some names. Rabbi Meir, everybody knows Rabbi Meir? Rabbi Meir Balanes. Every Sephardic woman in the world knows Rabbi Meir She has a candle of Rabbi Meir Balanes. Who else we know? Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Like Baum, everybody knows Rabbi Shimon. You're secular, you're religious, you're Jewish, not Jewish. Everyone knows Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. They were Rabbi Akiva's students. So the ones that everybody knows, of course, holy people, I wish I could have just be their shoelace. But the point is, 
the ones that everybody knows today are not even Rabban Yochanan's direct students. There are students, students, students. Fourth level. And you can only know the Gdusha and the holiness and the level of a rabbi to his students. So if his students were like that, imagine him. And if he was like this, who were his rabbis? So they give us a little bit of an understanding of who his rabbi was, Hillel Azaken. It says Hillel had 80 students. He had many students, but 80 specific students. 30 of them, 30 of them, were worthy to get Hashem to have light on their face, just like Moshe Rabbeinu. 30 of them, if they came and said, I want to have the same light on my face like Moshe Rabbeinu had from Mount Sinai, voila. 30 of them. 30 of them were worthy to get Hashem to stop the sun in the middle of the sky, just like he did for Yeshua ben Nun. They look at the sun and say, you know what sun? I'm running late. Why don't you stay there for a few hours? And I'll come back. I'll let you know when to continue. 30 of them. When did Hashem stop the sun for Yeshua ben Nun? Anyone know? Right. The war. The war against Amalek. The war against Amalek that we had in the desert. Amalek, the wicked Amalek that Hashem promises to destroy, attacked Am Yisrael, attacked our weak. But it wasn't a simple war like many of us think. If anyone looks at the Midrash Me'am Loez and several other Midrashim that talks about the details of the war, they actually say that it was such a mystical war that no war in history, in history, including Gog and Magog, will ever be like the war we had with Amalek. It was a completely mystical war. Powers, magic, all types of craziness to the point where the only way we were able to win is by Hashem stopping the sun for Yeshua ben Nun. Hashem had to get involved here. It's even more significant, a bigger war than the war of Gog and Magog which is going to happen before the Mashiach comes, Bezat Hashem. So now that we know who we're dealing with here, we know that if his rabbi was like this, who is Rabban Yochanan? Out of these 80 students, they say that the top student was Yonatan ben Uziel. Yonatan ben Uziel, when he would study Torah, would create a holy fire on top of him, that if any bird flew on top of him, it would burn instantly. Burn just by flying, flying, you know, trying to relax a little bit in the wind, it's nice weather, gone. Wrong area. Do not enter. That's the top student. The lowest student, Rabban Yochanan. So what does this Rabban Yochanan know if his student, 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 student is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai that we know all the mystical parts of the Torah from him, from the Zohar. So who's Rabban Yochanan? What do you mean he's the lowest student? What did he know? They say he knew all of the Shulchan Aruch, all the Gemara, all the Mishnayot, all the Midrashim, all Maaseh Merkava, which means all of the things that happen in the upper worlds. All Maaseh Bereshit, which means all of the things that happened to create this world and before this world. If that wasn't enough, he also knew the language of the angels. How do you learn the language of the angels? Anybody know the school? Teaches the language of the angels. 
They don't teach it in school. You know why? Because who are you going to talk to? The angel's not going to come talk to you. So Rabban Yochanan used to talk to angels too. And if that was enough, he got bored with the angels. Who did he talk to? The demons. He done the language of the demons also. They have a different language. So he talked to them also. If that was enough, and you know, the angels and the demons were a little busy, who he could talk to? He could talk to the birds and the trees, because he knew the language also. Now why is it so important to know who we're talking about? Why is it so important to know all these amazing things about Rabban Yochanan, or any of these sages? Because in today's ignorant world, where people don't actually know what Torah is, other than just a few stories, we're very easily influenced to go against it. We're very easily judgmental and say, no, you know what? Kosher, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't think it's relevant anymore. It doesn't make sense to me. Like someone told me, listen, I understand that slaughtering is a humane thing to do, but according to some government officials and some Different animal associations, they actually think the opposite. They think it's a very vicious thing to do. It doesn't make sense to me to keep kosher. Or somebody says, listen, I understand that it says in the Torah to keep Shabbat, but I'm going to make money. I'm in a car business. I'm in a clothing business. I'm in so-and-so business. Shabbat is the number one day for the business. If Hashem wanted me to have money, he wouldn't give me this job, he'd give me a different job. So it doesn't make sense to me that Shabbat is really what you say it is. It doesn't make sense to me. Everybody says it doesn't make sense to me. Which is the reason why I always have these books next to me. Because I need to provide sources, because people don't believe words, they don't take your words. If I was a doctor or a lawyer, or even a broker, or a hedge fund manager, they take my word like God said it himself. Once you get to a point where you start saying, no one believes anything. Doctor tells you, listen, I think we should cut your arm from the right side and then dig this way and then that way. And then it's like, wait, but it's just my knee that hurts. But you're not going to ask the question. You're not going to tell him your knee hurts. You're going to tell him, if he's cutting the arm, he must know. He must know. He's looking at the wrong file, but you're thinking he's smart. You know how many times they cut the wrong part? It's not a joke. They meant they cut the wrong leg, they cut the wrong arm. You know how many times these doctors, you know which doctors cut it? The ones with the most degrees. Who made the biggest errors in history? The ones with the most degrees. The ones with the most amount of credit that the public is giving them. Let's try to call again. If anybody could just press redial, I have no idea how this works. This is more complicated than my machine. <laughs> it's all the, uh, yeah, I don't know, nothing is working. Thank you. Just press redial, and then, what is the other number? Uh, 289 something. Fine. <laughs> just press redial to that same number. Hold on a second, guys, we'll be right there. Oh, okay. 28. Oh, okay, good. See, Satan shows up to the lecture also. He didn't like it. He didn't like it. Two, three, eight, nine, eight, five. Okay. So press V dial and then two, three, eight, nine, eight, five. Okay. One second. No? Okay. Said that was Hashem. They're going to listen to it through Facebook Live. See, so already Hashem 
provided the uh, in real time, provided the cure before the ailment. He knew that that line would go dizzy, so he gave us the other one, Baruch Hashem. Uh, if you get to it again, you could just press uh, uh, two, three, eight, nine, eight, five. So, getting back, I'll have said this might to remember where I was. So now, we have an easy time judging the Torah. I tell somebody, listen, if you're a Jew, and you drive on Shabbat, according to the Rambam, which from there, we get all of our halachot, which he himself got it from the Gemara, which talks about Rabban Yochanan, which talks about Rabbi Akiva. That's where we got it all from. So according to the Rambam, Ilchot Shabbat, chapter 30, he says if you violate Shabbat, you drive to Beknesset on Shabbat, you play with your phone on Shabbat, you light fire on Shabbat, you carry things outside of a Yeruv on Shabbat, you do all those things, you're Mechalel Shabbat. And a Jew is a Mechalel Shabbat, is considered an idol worshiper. Not considered just bad person, could be a nice person. But in Hashem's eyes, they're considered an idol worshiper, which is the worst possible thing you can be viewed at from Shemaim. Meaning the, the punishment that Hashem gives a murderer, murderer, somebody just killed somebody, works for the mafia, 25,000 a head, shoots people once a week. Once a week he kills people. Says, listen, if Hashem wanted me to give me better partners, I'd give me a better job. This one pays the most. 25,000 a head. I work once a week. The rest of the week I study Torah. rest of the week he's in a kolel. 25,000. But he keeps Shabbat. He keeps Shabbat. Thank you. Excuse me, Mitzvot. He keeps Shabbat. The punishment for him is not as severe as someone that's not a murderer, but drives on Shabbat to Beknesset. Not only drives on Shabbat, he drives to Beknesset to do mitzvah, to go pray with the minyan. He drives on Shabbat to Beknesset. That person is in a much, much worse shape than the murderer. Now you tell this to people, it doesn't make sense. Rationally, it doesn't make sense. I agree, it doesn't make sense. But the Torah is not supposed to be rational. Rational means human. Rational means it makes sense to you. Who says it's supposed to make sense to you? Who says that Hashem owes you an explanation? Proverbs 19.3 Shlomo HaMelech says the foolishness of man meaning his sins perverts his way meaning it brings him to punishment but his heart frets against Hashem meaning that after a person sins he gets punished 13 principles of faith that we have there's measure for measure, meaning righteous person gets reward, wicked person gets punishment. Measure for measure. Shlomo Melech is telling us here is that someone sins, goes against Hashem, Hashem punishes him, and what does he do? He gets mad at Hashem. He gets mad at Hashem like it's Hashem's fault. You sinned. What are you blaming Hashem for punishing you? He told you he's going to punish you. He said, Bechalil Shabbat Mot Yumat. Why are you so upset? The kid died in a car accident. He said, Mot Yumat. Oh, you think he was joking? Or maybe he didn't mean about you. Or a guy lost all of his money. Well, he told you, stop stealing. 
I didn't steal. Did you lend money? Yes, I didn't steal. You lent money to another Jew? Yes, I, I lent money to another Jew. I did a mitzvah. But you charge him interest? Of course, I'm going to make any money. That's stealing, my friend. Not allowed to charge another Jew interest. Unless he's in Mechalet Shabbat. Unless he violates Shabbat. Ravadia Zechet Sadiq Vikados Livacha explained the Alakha about Mechalet Shabbat to such an extent that he told us. You are allowed to charge a Mechalel Shabbat interest based on the fact that once he's a Mechalel Shabbat, he's no longer considered part of Am Yisrael. It's to that extent. And anyone that knows even a little bit about Rav Avadya, Rav Avadya was very lenient on many things. He looked for leniencies. He looked for ways to even help the basic people. People that weren't Talmudim Chachamim. So for him to say something like that, you know it's not a joke. But people have an easy time going against the Torah. And the reason why is because they think that just because their local rabbi is called rabbi, and perhaps maybe he's ignorant, or he's this, or he's that, or he doesn't know the ways of the world, or he doesn't know an answer to every single question that everyone asks, or they just don't know what he knows, but he just doesn't look, doesn't have the look of a smart person. His beard's too long. Oh, it's too short. I'm not sure yet. So they don't think, they don't think that it's a, uh, he's smart. So they say, ah, oh, so he believes this Torah? Nah, it's just stories. And they easily just go against it. Nah, it's, it's one time I told a guy, I'm like, listen, this is what it says in, in uh, Parashat Kitisa. Parashat Kitisa talks about a Mechalel Shabbat, what happens to them, has no share of the world to come, and so on and so forth. And the guy tells me, no, no, that's your commentary. That's your, your, your pirush. You translated it that way. I bet you I can give you a different translation. I said, no, but it's not a translation. This is what it means, literally. If you understand Hebrew, this is what the world means. Mot yumat, death upon death. What is it? You can't die twice. You die once. So what's the second death? No share of the world to come. What's, what's cut off from the nation? If you already died twice, where are you being cut off from? If nichreta nefesh, if cut off meant death, why would it be a third time? Because Nicheta means cut off. Cut off from what nation? Cut off from Am Yisrael. Meaning, no longer considered Jewish. This is not a commentary. This is literally what it says. You just never read it. I never read it. Until I read it. And once I read it, I said, oh, I guess they weren't joking. I guess they weren't, I guess the Sraban Yochanan wasn't kidding. So, before we jump and judge every rabbi, and judge Rambam, judge Rabbi Yosef Karo, judge Rav Ovadia, judge Rabban Yochanan, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Shimon, judge even Moshe Rabenu. His own generation judged him. They called him a thief. Everybody thought he was a thief. They said, no, he's stealing money from the Machatzita Shekel. You know, he collected a half a shekel from each person. He said, no, no, that's, that's how he got rich. Moshe Rabbeinu. They said, no, no, he's stealing money. But the Gemara says that Moshe Rabbeinu got rich in different ways. How did he get rich? Obviously, he didn't steal. One of the ways that he got rich is that originally, each Jew got a, two crowns from the, uh, from the angels. 
Each one of the, uh, the, the angels came down, 600,000 angels came down, and each angel gave each Jew two crowns. After they all sinned, in one way or another, some directly worshipped the golden calf, some just let them worship the golden calf, meaning the entire nation were considered sinners. Even though only a few thousand actually worshipped the golden calf, Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu, let me destroy all of them and start a new nation from you. Why? But if only three, four, five thousand sinned, what do you want to kill everybody for? What did they do? They didn't worship the calf. What do you want to kill them for? Hashem, you need, you have anger problems? Relax. What do you want to kill them for? They didn't worship the golden calf. They were just hanging out. Had a barbecue. Relaxed. Another guy is building a store for everyone. Get a deli tomorrow. You know, what's having a business? What's, what's the problem? What do you want to kill them for? Says they sat there quietly. They sat there quietly while their brothers and sisters went and worshipped the golden calf. Knowing that it's wrong, you're not allowed to worship anything but God. You're not allowed to worship a golden calf. You're not allowed to worship anything in Christianity. You're not allowed to worship anything relating to your own rabbi. You're not allowed to worship a son. You're not allowed to worship a cow. You're not allowed to worship anything but God. If anything comes between your relationship with God, you, my friend, are idol worshiping. Even if the idol is your rabbi. Even if your rabbi died. Even if your rabbi is Moshe Rabbeinu. You can't worship Moshe Rabbeinu. That's why Hashem buried him himself in a place that no one knows. Because he knew that if Moshe Rabbeinu was known, everyone would worship him. Makes logical sense. The only one that ever spoke to God face to face. They worshipped Yosef HaTzadik because he made them rich. What are they going to do with Moshe Rabbeinu? So, Moshe Rabbeinu got rich in different ways. After everyone made the sin by not saying anything, and Hashem wanted to destroy them, all of the angels came down and took back the crowns. And they gave them all to Moshe Rabbeinu. From here is an interesting source where you see in a different part of the Gemara where you say that, listen, every Jew have a share of the world, the world to come. Masechet Sanhedrin, page 90 to 98, also has it a little bit in the beginning. We read it on Shabbat, where it says, every Jew has a share of the world to come. Kol Yisrael esh lahem chelek le'olam Problem with that Mishnah is that that's just the first verse of the Mishnah. It's the first verse. But as I just said, it's eight pages. But not eight pages like we think eight pages. Eight tapim is 16 pages really. Because it's Gemara pages is two sides. So one line in 16 pages, it's not so much. What does the rest of the line say? The description of all of those who do not have a share of the world to come. All, all of these, all of the uh, Am Yisrael has a share of the world to come, but these are the ones that do not have a share of the world to come. And it says, if you make certain sins, you make certain sins as a Jew, you do not have a share of the world to come. Obviously, Mechalel Shabbat is one of them. The problem is that we don't want to get depressed every time we pray on Shabbat, so they don't mention the entire Mishnah. Plus, we're in a hurry to go home and have some chud. So, from here we 
answer the confused that say, listen, you say that every Jew has a share of the world to come. But then you say that, okay, they lose it if they violate Shabbat. But it already says that they created a share. They already created a part of Allah Abba for him. What, are they going to close it? Put a sign, closed? The guy didn't show up? He didn't pay his bill? What are they going to do with this share? It's eternal. It's not like a uh, space in this world. Chazal explains to us, that share goes somewhere else. Goes to a different Jew. What Jew? A Jew that tried to help him do tshuva. A Jew that told him the truth. You came to me and said, listen, my friend, you're not allowed to be married to a Goya. My friend, you're not allowed to shave with a razor. My friend, you're not allowed to violate Shabbat. All of these different major sins. And he says, do me a favor, live and let live. You live your life, I'll live my life. You want to be religious? Good for you. I don't want to be. Thank you for caring. Thank you for trying. I'm not interested. Not buying. In the business world, I wish it was that nice, but usually when people say they're not buying, they just hang up in my face. But nonetheless, it's the same answer. Not interested. Click. Now you'll be upset, like I am, every time I try to help somebody do tshuva, and they say I'm not interested. It's very upsetting. But in reality, you have something to celebrate about. The fact that you just told them the truth and they didn't want to listen, if it stays that way, if it stays that way, you will end up getting their olamba. You end up getting their share. Just like Moshe Rabbeinu got the crown for each one of the Bnei Israel that sinned with the golden calf. So now, the question goes, since Rabban Yochanan over here is telling us that he heard all of his teaching from Hillel and Shammai, and he knows what he's talking about obviously, not only a holy and righteous man, but this is someone that his entire life was dedicated to Am Yisrael, his entire life was non-stop teaching, non-stop learning, And he's telling us a message saying, if you learned a lot of Torah, don't take credit for yourself, because that's what you created to do. Now if it was somebody who never learned Torah, that says, listen, if you learn a lot of Torah, don't take that much credit, of course he's going to say that. He doesn't even know what Torah is. Rabban Yochanan knows what Torah is. He says, I learned, he learned plenty of Torah. What he learned, we can't learn. We don't have the same Torah anymore. We don't even have a fraction of what he knew. To give us an example, people always ask about Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, who was the first Jew, who was not the first Jew. There's a little bit of a machloket of who was the first Jew. Whether it was Moshe Rabbeinu, because he's the first one to get the Torah Bechtav. Or it was actually Avraham Avinu, or Yitzhak and Yaakov. Or it was just Yaakov. Nonetheless, they say that Avraham Avinu fulfilled the entire Torah. All of the rules of the Torah. Didn't uh, Rishon and Noach also fulfill the Torah as well? Noach? No, Noach didn't fulfill the entire Torah. He was called He was called Ish Tzadik Tamim. But he was Ish Tzadik Tamim, but he didn't fulfill the entire Torah. And he wasn't in the level of Avraham Avinu. 
this is the reason why the Mabul was called after him. The Mabul was called after him because it was actually a rebuke. Because after the Mabul was over, after the flood was over, Noach came out. Right, right. Noach, Noach, right. Noach, came, Noach came out and started crying. And Hashem says, you're a tipesh, you're a fool, Noach. If you would have cried before the Mabul, I wouldn't have brought the Mabul. What's the difference between, why is he not called the first Jew? Because he just sat there and took care of himself. Once he knew that he's going to be saved, he took care of his family and himself. He didn't rebuke anyone. He didn't go and try to do kiruv with anyone else. Avraham, on the other hand, the reason the argument says that he's the first Jew is because he dedicated his entire life to help other people. And that's the responsibility of a Jew. That's the first responsibility of a Jew is to be a light to the nations. You're not allowed to be selfish in Judaism. Which means that if you're a selfish person, you have a lot of work to do. And this is unfortunately a midah that every single one of us has. Every one of us is selfish to some extent. Every one of us cares about our parnasah. We don't care about our neighbor's parnasah. Every one of us cares about our own stomach. We don't care if our wife is hungry or our husband is hungry. We care about us being hungry. Once I'm not hungry, then I'll make you something to eat. Once I have a, uh, you know, my, my bills paid, then I'll think about if I can give, want to give you tzedakah. In general, the natural inclination of most people is to be selfish. Now, of course, if you love somebody or you care about somebody, then you overcome that. If your wife loves you, then she won't make herself food first. She'll make you food first. If you care about Jews, you'll spend money and invest money into Q before you invest into your stock portfolio. If you care about your community, you'll invest money into your Bet Knesset or different types of Jewish organizations because you care about the future and not just care about your Mercedes-Benz. So again, if you care about something, then you overcompensate and you overcome your own desires. But if you don't, then your natural inclination is going to be to be selfish. So Avraham showed us that you're not allowed to be selfish, and that's actually the argument of why he was considered the, the, he was called the first Jew. But now we have ourselves a interesting question. All of this Torah that we learn, we say that Avraham learned a different level of Torah, much more. How much more? How much more did he have? I mean, he didn't even get the written Torah. So what did he actually have? The Gemara says that our current Gemara Masechet Avodah Zarah, current Gemara Masechet Avodah Zarah, if you have, let's say, the Shutenstein, it's two books, because the Shutenstein has English and Hebrew and has the commentary on it. It's two books. It's a little over 70 pages. And obviously, regular Gemara, it's just one book. I believe it's five parts, five chapters, five or maybe six chapters to the Gemara Masechet Avodah Zarah. So five chapters are these two books, let's say. Avraham Avinu, his Gemara, Masechet Avodah Zarah, was 4,000 chapters. 4,000 chapters. Meaning, just this Gemara, Masechet Avodah Zarah, was bigger than our entire Oral Torah that we have today. Entire Shas, entire Zohar, entire Shulchan Aruch, all combined. Just as Gemara Masechet Avodah Zarah, just one tractate. So when they say that Avraham Avinu was able to fulfill the entire Torah, I'm not surprised. If you just, if you're even able to go through the first four thousand chapters, you're doing okay. So nonetheless, we have here. Rabban Yochanan is telling us, listen, this Torah, this is the number one mission, this is really important, you have to fulfill it, you have to learn it, and even after you learn it, 
don't take so much credit. But the question that everyone always asks, especially if they haven't started doing tshuva, or even sometimes if they are religious, but not really believers. I have some people that come to me, they're religious, but they don't actually believe in God. This sounds unusual to some of you. But this, unfortunately, is very common today. Religion has become a custom. Religion has become a culture, not necessarily a way of life. Where, you know, you're supposed to be glued to Hashem. Religion, you know, if you're wearing the black hat, the beard, it's nice. But it could literally be just because you were born into a household that that's what they wear. That's why they act. They go to Beknesset at a certain time. They go to a community meeting at a certain time. They have certain holidays that everyone observes. Not because they care about the holiday, but just because that's the way it is. So unfortunately, some people are there. They're religious. They follow the mitzvah, but they don't actually even believe in God. And we try to help them. We try to get them to believe in God. Scientifically, rationally, different ways. Oh Hashem. But now you have people from all walks of life ask the same exact question. Who says that I have to learn Torah? Who says that I have to fulfill it? Like, Where does it say it? Where does it say that I agree to this? They agree to it. In Mount Sinai. They agreed. Hashem said, listen, here's my Torah. You know, the famous kid story is, Hashem went to all the nations. He says, you want the Torah? You want the Torah? You want the Torah? And everyone said, Makatuvba. What's written in it? Hashem says, you're not allowed to steal. Oh, no, no, no. We like to steal. Don't accept it. Went to the other one. Not allowed to kill. Oh, no, no. We like to kill. We're starting a Hamas organization tomorrow. That's what we do. Our top engineer is a bomb designer. What's your second top? Bomb designer. Third, bombs. Fourth, only bombs. We're strictly bombs. We're machmirim on bombs. Rashaim. They want to kill people. We're out of bombs. They use cars. Hashem Yerachem. No stealing. No adultery. No killing. The Jews didn't ask anything. That's what the story goes. We didn't ask, we just said, how, you know, how many you have? It's free. How many you have? So from this story, it sounds like we had a choice. Hashem asked us and we accepted. We said, Naseh Venishma. Now here's the atomic bomb. We didn't have a choice. It was actually no choice at all. If any one of you looks at, at the uh, Chumash, Parashat Yitro, Parashat Yitro, which is Exodus chapter 19, verse 17. Moses brought the people forth from the camp towards God, and they stood at the bottom of the mountain. So the Gemara, Masechet Shabbat, asks a big question. What does it mean, Tachtita Al? What does it mean, the bottom of the mountain? Why did they say the mountain? They stood by the mountain. You don't say, I'm going to mountain uh, so and so the bottom of the mountain you go I'm going to the mountain well, the bottom, next week you give this year 
Save me the time. No, it's 20 minutes to get here. No, no, sorry. I'm telling you, you know, you know more than I do. I had to learn this. Gemara also. Mitzrash gets this from Gemara. So, Vaitzetzvu betachtitaar, Gemara page 88 in Masechet Shabbat, A. It says they stood at the foot of the mountain. Rav Avdimi Barchama Barchasa said, Melamed shekapa kadosh baruch hu alehem et ar bagigit. This teaches that the Holy One, blessed is He, covered them with the mountain as though it was an upturned vat. And said to them, If you accept the Torah, fine. But if not, your burial place will be there. Translation. The mountain wasn't like we have in the pictures. You know, we have pictures, little kids' books have pictures, or people have pictures of Mount Sinai, everybody's standing there, it's a holy, there's a book on top, maybe Moses over there holding the Ten Commandments. Nice, wonderful visual. It's completely wrong. First of all, he didn't hold it. It was in the air. It was floating in the air. Second of all, it did not look like it says in the, in the picture. The letters were, you're able to see the Ten Commandments, what it was written on the Ten Commandments, from all four sides. From all four sides, all of the letters were floating in the air. You were able to see what it says, regardless of where you were standing. Which is obviously a miracle. Because you can't do that with anything else. Meaning, if I'm here, it's, I see it says, Hashem is the only God you're allowed to worship. I go to the right, same thing. I go to the left, same thing. I go behind, same thing. Not opposite. It says it as if I'm standing in the same location all four times. So that's the first thing. Second of all, the mountain didn't look like that. Originally, before they got there, and now it looks like that. It looks like a regular mountain. But once they got to Mount Sinai, the Gemara is explained to us, like Joseph said, that the mountain, the Hashem made the mountain change and actually become like a keeper on top of them. Cover all of them. It became like a roof on top of all of Am Yisrael. already had the clouds. What do you need another roof for? Remember, we had seven clouds. We didn't have to launder our clothes. We didn't have to go to wash anything. We, uh, we didn't have to strengthen, you know, strain our, uh, our legs because we're like floating. So we already have. What do we need this mountain on top of our head? Maybe the dirt's going to fall on our eyes. Looking up at Moshe, it's like, ah, something. Why? Barah says, because Hashem said to Am Yisrael, My sons, if you want to accept the Torah, fine. But if you don't, this will be your burial. Meaning this keeper, this addition that we have, this extension that we added to our Mount Sinai, will fall on top of you and kill all of you. So the Maharal gives an amazing explanation of what's going on here. He says to us, wait a minute, this doesn't sound like a choice. What did he even bother asking him for? It's not a choice. You forced him into it. And the answer is true. He didn't 
actually forced him into it, but it wasn't really a choice. What was it? He explains that Hashem had to put Am Yisrael in this situation. And the reason why is because if history recorded that Israel accepted, uh, their acceptance of the Torah was an optional, it was optional, they could accept it, not accept it, even though it sounds nice, sounds praiseworthy, oh wow, they accepted it even though they had a choice not to. Sounds nice, what? Tzadikim. Tzadikim. Maharaj says, yes, even though it sounds praiseworthy, it would have seemed as if an indispensable component of existence had been left to chance. Hashem says to Jeremiah, Hashem says to Jeremiah, if not for my covenant, meaning if not for my Torah, the rules of the world will cease to exist. So the Maharal explains is that if there's no world without Torah, then we can't leave it for choice. And to say that Am Yisrael had a choice would make it seem like Hashem is irresponsible, Chas v'shalom. Like He's leaving the whole world, 7.5 billion people that live right now, billions and billions of people that have lived over the generations. He's leaving all of their destinies, all of their futures, all of their presents, all of their pasts, to a few million Jews who decides if they woke up on the right side of the bed or not. If they want to accept this book, that's not a God. So the Maharal continues, and he says to dispel such notions, God demonstrated that Israel's free will decision was such an unalterable necessity that their failure to make it would have caused their extinction. Maharal explains that yes, they did have free choice. They did have, they could have chosen to not follow the Torah. They could have chosen, hey, we don't want it. But Hashem had to put it in a situation where He said, okay, if you don't want it, I just want to let you know, you're going to die. Either accept the Torah or die. Now a lot of us, Baruch Hashem, enjoy the Kiddush on Yom Shishi for Shabbat, even before we do Tshuva. Most Jews, Baruch Hashem, do Kiddush. Most of them do. Even though sometimes they go to the movies five minutes later, or they go to the club, or they go to the beach, they do Kiddush. It's a Masorti thing, it's a tradition. Even if your rabbi is a woman, you do Kiddush. Even if your rabbi is a dog, do Kiddush. People do Kiddush. People like do Kiddush. They like the wine. They like the saying. Most people know by heart, Yom HaShishi, Be'echulo Shemayim Ba'aretz which is a verse in Parashat Bereshit. But the Gemara Masechet Shabbat, same page, 88, but it's also A. Resh Lakish, who is a Baal Tshuva, and a Talmid, the student of Abban Yochanan. The same Abban Yochanan we're talking about. This is one of his students. He asks a question. If you look at all of the days during creation, you have... Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but obviously Yom Rishon, Shani, Shlishi, it's in Hebrew names, not the idol-worshipping names that Christianity created, but unfortunately were forced to, to use. 
each one of the names in English is after some type of idol or star that they worshipped. But nonetheless, each day, it would say, it was evening, it was uh, night, it was day, end of, uh, you know, first day, end of second day, end of third day, end of fourth day, and so on. But on the sixth day, on Friday, it says, meaning it says, it was evening, it was morning, the sixth day. Meaning there's an extra letter in the Hebrew language, in the English language, there's an extra word, the. So Resh Lakish asks a big question. Obviously we know there's no extra letters, there's no extra verses, there's no extra paragraphs in the Torah. What do I need this extra hey? What do I need this extra word the on Friday? And why is it the only day that has it? Why couldn't you, if you're going to add it, make it match? You, know, you can't wear red and black if you're not going to have another black or red. It has to match. You have a hey over here just on Friday. Put it on Thursday too. At least give it a friend. The lonely miskin, you know, he's going to feel alone, this hey. Why you have only one hey? Put it, come on, chofshi Hashem, it's free. Why only one? So Resh Lakis gives us an amazing chidush. He says, it says, the Hezekiah says, in Psalm 76, 9, from heaven you made judgment, uh, from heaven you made judgment heard, the earth became afraid and grew calm. It's talking about what happened in Mount Sinai, before we got to Mount Sinai, it says that earth, the angel controlling earth, was afraid before we got to Mount Sinai. But after we got there, it became calm. So the question is, if you were afraid, why did you grow calm? And if you were able to get calm, why, did you were, why were you afraid in the first place? Obviously something changed. So Eshlaki says, this is why he was scared. He was scared because Hashem during creation made a deal with the angel that runs earth. Everything has an angel. The sun has an angel. It's a small angel. Earth is another small angel. Everyone's an angel. Someone wants to, one of the Rashaim, Nebuchadnezzar, one time said, I'm going to fight God. I'm going to go fight him. I'm a king. He's a king. I want to go fight him. So the bat kol apparently had some schut or something. A heavenly voice, Hashem's voice came from Shemaim and said, Rasha ben Rasha, wicked son of wicked. You think you get to me, fight to me? Just to get to the bottom of my chair, bottom of my chair will take you 500 years. From there we learned, we knew what light years were already. To get to the bottom of my chair. To get from the bottom of my chair to the next level of the chair is another 500 years. And to get to the next level, it's another 500 years. Meaning it would take him thousands and thousands of years just to get to the chair. To the chair, not to Hashem himself. To the chair. You're going to go fight him. Another Rashad told Rabbi Akiva, I want to go see God. said, okay, do me a favor, look at one of his angels. For a few hours, 
if you're able to look at his, his angel for a few hours, no problem. He goes, who's the angel? He goes, it's the sun. The sun's a small little angel. Small little angel. Shem has angels. The sun is one of the small angels. Look at that angel. Talk to him a few, a little bit. I'll come back tomorrow. If you're still looking, you're still talking, you guys are on first name basis by then, I come back, I take you and show you Hashem. 30 seconds pass, the guy's crying, his eyes out. Oh, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva. He goes, why? What do you want? You guys got into a fight? He goes, no, I can't look at him. Why can't you look at him? He goes, it's burning my eyes. He goes, if you can't look at a small angel, how are you going to look at Hashem? So that's Lakish. Says that in creation, Hashem made a deal with the angel that runs earth. He says, if Am Yisrael accepts the Torah, if they accept it, everything continues. But if they don't accept it, I'm returning everything to Tovavo. I'm destroying everything. Now every deal has to have a contract. What's the contract? The hay and Yom HaShishi. The extra hay, the extra za, that's the contract. If they accept the deal, we go from Yom HaShishi to one of Hashem's holiest creations, Yom HaShabbat. If we don't, we stay during the mundane week and everything gets destroyed. Hashem Rachem. And also a small little chidush. If interestingly you would see that hey also has a numerical value of five. Five representing the five books of Moses. We accept the five books of Moses. We get the Shabbat. We don't accept them. We have nothing. No Shabbat. No Torah. No nothing. No purpose. So from here we learn from not only from Aban Yochanan, but from some of his students, that in reality, whether it was Shabbat, or was Torah, or was any of the mitzvot, it's not really a choice, like we think it is. Yes, you have free choice, you can do what you want, you can eat pig, you can eat a kosher cow. You could be honest, you could be a liar, you could be an angry person, or you could be someone that's trying to work on his midot. You can do what you want. That's free choice. But that's not exactly what we have. Because what we learned from this Gemara is that we really have choice. Not free choice. Meaning, we have consequences. Free choice in our minds means that I can do whatever I want and nothing will happen. If I go to work, I get paid $100. I don't go to work, I don't get paid anything. That's free choice in our mind. What we have is choice. Meaning, I go to work, I get paid $100. I don't go to work, the boss sends people to my house and they beat me up all day. That's what we have. We got the Mount Sinai with choice. We accept the Torah, Hashem fulfills the promise to the angel that runs earth. Hashem fulfills the promise to the rest of the angels. Hashem fulfills the promise to the souls that were in, that were in creation before He put us into bodies. We don't. Mount Sinai becomes a burial ground. So Rabban Yochanan is telling us here that first and foremost, 
you need to understand that there's no reason whatsoever for you to ever take any credit for your learning Torah because that's the only reason you exist is for the Torah that you can learn. For the Torah that you can fulfill. Meaning that if you have no plan on fulfilling the Torah, then you're fulfilling the verse that it says that even Rashaim, Rashaim are called dead in their own life. During their life, they're called dead. There's no point to your life. Even an animal has more point than you do, because at least we can eat the animal. We can make something out of it. You came here, you don't want to learn Torah, you don't want to fulfill Torah. You're losing your purpose. Now why do we say this now, only a little over an hour after the lecture started, versus right in the beginning? Because if I said to everyone right away, listen, if you don't learn Torah, you're meaningless, people take it offensively. But once you learn it, it didn't come from me. It came from Rabban Yochanan. It came from Hashem Barach. It came from people that were beyond nature. It came from the Creator that created nature. Then you could just eliminate my picture and listen to them. doesn't matter who said it. I'm just a voice. There's no credit due to me. Same book, you read it, you'll get the same thing. Just that most people didn't read it. So, Hashem, we did the work for you. So that's the first part, and I think it's the most critical part that we have to understand. In the book of Micha, the book of Micha, the prophet says in chapter 7, verse 20, Give truth to Yaakov and Chesed to Avram. So Chazal asks, why is it that Yaakov, the son, is mentioned before Avram? Isn't it usually Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov? Why is he mentioning here? Yaakov first. And where is Yitzchak? So from here we learn that each one of them represented something else. Hashem had 13 character traits. Each one of them represented something else. Avram represented Chesed. That's why it says, Titen Chesed Avram. Yitzchak represented Din, or Yira, fear. Or judgment. And Yaakov represented Emet. That's why it says, Titen Emet le Yaakov, give truth to Yaakov. So, why is the conclusion indisputable in regards to Yaakov being the foundation of Am Israel and not Avram and not Yitzchak? Why is Yaakov's name changed to Israel? Because Avram's entire connection to Hashem, his entire mission in life was based on Chesed. And Chesed by itself doesn't last. Doesn't fulfill Hashem's will completely. 
There's plenty of people that are very rich. They give millions of dollars in tzedakah. But they drive on Shabbat. But they don't keep the mitzvot like they're supposed to. But they figure, listen, I donated $5 million to the kolel. I get permission. I can drive on Shabbat. Somebody else donate $5 million on Shabbat. Somebody else donate $5 million to the kolel. No, okay, so I'm here to fulfill the job. So that means I get special privilege. They think that just because they do chesed, that's their connection to Hashem. First thing that people tell me, I tell them, listen, you keep Shabbat, you keep kosher, you keep talat mishpacha, you keep tzniyot, you keep all these basic level mitzvot. This is not chumras. This is not stringencies. Basic level mitzvot. A woman must be modest. If you're not modest, you're failing your test in this world. A man is obligated to learn Torah at every single moment that he has a chance. That is the minimum requirement. Minimum requirement. Not the maximum requirement. Minimum requirement is to learn Torah as a man at every single moment you have a chance. Meaning, every time you're not working to make a living for your family, and you're not, let's say, helping your wife, fulfilling your role as a husband, you must be learning Torah. Meaning, any single time you spend watching shtriot on television, playing on the internet, watching a, a cop save g- uh, ducks in the middle of the highway, every time you're doing that, you are in a serious, serious problem with Shemaim called Bitul Torah. This is the reason why when someone wants to get a blessing for Refuah Shlema, Refuah Shlema, Kodarav, give me a blessing for Refuah Shlema. Kodarav, give me a blessing for Panasatova. Kodarav, give me a blessing for this, blessing for that. What do we say? We say Yosef, Ben, his mother's name. David, Ben, his mother's name. Yaron, Ben, Doris. Wait a minute. Why don't you say his father? Anybody ever asked that question? We only say the father a different chance, but not when it's relating to the Fuash Lima. Why don't we say the mother? Because the father, if he's still alive, you can't bless the son on his name. And the reason why is because there's Mekatregim. There are prosecutors going against the father in Shemaim saying he made definitely at least two sins. One of them is Bitul Torah. He watched some YouTube videos that weren't Shuret Torah. He watched the cop saving the ducks. He watched the baby laugh for three hours. He watched. He watched YouTube. He became one of those one and a half billion, you know, listeners of the YouTube channel. So he has a problem with Bitul Torah. Definitely. All of us have Bitul Torah. Okay, okay, fine. What's the other one then? What's the other? Okay, Bitul Torah, fine. Okay, you know. What's the other one? He wasted seed. Definitely wasted seed at some point of his life. For that, you can't bless the son on his name. Why? Because you go up to Shemaim and say, listen, the blessing came. Wait, who is he? Oh, he's uh, this guy, son of Shimon. Oh, Shimon, the seed waster? Get out of here, get out of here. Let him die. It's better to bless him on the mom's name. Why? Because she doesn't have those two obligations. So she couldn't have made those sins. At least according to the Pshat. According to the Pshat, the simple part of the Torah, a woman cannot waste seed. Even though the Kabbalah says she can. But as far as Bitul Torah, she's not obligated to learn Torah. So she couldn't have made that sin. So at least 50%, she's definitely better than the man. So bless the son under the mom's name. But here we learn that 
all of this stuff has meaning. All of this stuff has a reason. We bless for certain reasons. We mention people for certain reasons. Everything matters. Now, if you only want to do chesed, like a lot of people tell me they donate, a lot of people tell me they do all these wonderful things, they give challah to people, they give food to people, they have 500 people every Shuchan Shabbat. Great, wonderful, but by itself, chesed does not stand. Example, Avraham Avinu. Avraham Avinu's work throughout his entire life was doing kiruv. He was trying to convert everyone. But according to Chazal, everyone went back. Every single one that converted eventually went back to idol worship. Yitzchak, and this, if this wasn't written, obviously, by Chazal, I wouldn't be allowed to say it. Yitzchak, Yitzchak Avinu, representing Din, judgment. Judgment by itself, always be judgmental, always fear, always fear, 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 also doesn't hold. Someone eventually gets so much fear, they break down, they can't handle it anymore. If you constantly, every single shiur you have is about Gehenom, eventually people are going to break down. They're either going to go crazy or they're going to leave everything. It's like, ah, listen, I'm definitely going to Gehenom. Look, I made at least one of those sins that he mentioned, that's it, forget it, I'm just going to, might as well do everything. For what? I'm definitely going to suffer anyway. Might as well go for the whole thing. This is actually how, how gamblers behave, by the way. Which hopefully none of you ever went to a casino. Unfortunately, before I did tshuva, I used to spend a lot of time in casinos. This is what you would do. You'd see it all the time. It's called tilt. The biggest poker players in the world, they say, oh yeah, they make all this money, they make all this money. But what's the, how do they make all this money? They rely on other people's failures. They are perfect at, or they're very good at spotting other people's failures. Failures in as far as containing themselves. So for example, when someone is playing, they're playing, they're playing, they're playing. It doesn't matter what type of game or it doesn't even matter if it's in uh, gambling. It could be in business. Something goes, you know, everything goes to normal. But then something small happens that annoys them. Someone calls them. And it's the wrong person. Or the wife gives them an attitude. Or the waitress gave them milk instead of, you know, I don't know, something else. Or they put sugar in, in their coffee instead of, uh, you know, putting, uh, I don't know, uh, sweet and low. Something annoying happened. Something that got them off their balance. Sometimes it's more than that. Sometimes it's just outright anger. Sometimes they lost a hand and that got them into a little bit of an annoying mood. Already, they are... Not as stable as they were. And that's when the sharks come in. And that's when they start talking to you all of a sudden. Hey, where are you from? Oh, that place. Oh, yeah, I know people like that. You know, they start making fun of you, start annoying you, start asking why you're doing this and why you're doing that. Why? Because they see you're already loose. Because we want to get you on tilt. What's tilt? Complete lack of control. Why? Because when you have complete lack of control, what do you do? Ah, you know what? The heck with it. I'm putting everything on the line. But you don't even know what cards you have. You don't even know what you're betting on. You don't even know what you're investing in. You don't know what you're doing. Well, yeah, but you know what? If I lost a small hand, maybe I'll uh, lose every hand. So I might as well get to the whole thing. I'm either going to win everything or lose everything. One shot. That's the mentality of being on tilt. And that's what these professional gamblers at least the ones that survive, which most of them don't, um, that's what they're betting on. That's why they could sit at the table for hours and hours and hours without even playing. 
without even playing. Why? Because they're only waiting for one moment. The fish to show itself. Who's the fish? If you don't know who's the fish, it's you. So now, to tell somebody constantly, listen, everything you're going to do, you're going to go to Gainom, and Gainom looks like this, and Gainom looks like that, and it's going to burn, and it's going to hurt, and it's this, and it's that, and get people depressed. Okay, you need to know what Gainom is. Even uh, Rabbi Nachman from Breslev, anyone who doesn't know, you know, it's Breslev movement today is very different than it was in the days of Rabbi Nachman. They weren't breakdancing back then, by the way. Especially not in Vans. As a matter of fact, the big foundation of his teaching was very different than it is today. In today's world, people misrepresented. Not everyone, obviously. There are pretty, uh, there's a lot of tzaddikim in the Breslov movement, but there are some that completely misrepresent it and make it seem like it's a party movement. Like it's just fun and laughing and all that stuff. It's really not. Because Rabbi Nachman from Breslov said that he read the book, the Shit Chokhmah, 400 times. 400 times, he studied it, and he says that every one of his students must learn it, and become an expert in it. Why is Rashid Chokhmah any more special than any other book out there? Because that's the one book we learn about most of the details that we know about Gehenom. Most of the real details we know about Gehenom are in that book, or two books. The gruesome stuff, the stuff that no one wants to teach or even learn, that's what we know it from. So, he says that in order for someone to be connected to Hashem, it's just like Shlomo Al-Melech said, Rashid Chokhmah Yirat Hashem, the beginning of wisdom is fear of Hashem. You have to fear Hashem, you have to have your foundation of your, of your uh, connection to Hashem must be based on fear. But if it's only fear, it won't last. It won't last, you're either going to become completely out of this world, or you're going to be completely off. So, Yitzchak Avinu, Chazal says in the holy books, after the Akidat Yitzchak, he lived in two worlds, really. Part of his life was in the next world that we can't even fathom. Part of his, like his body was still here. His Yir'ah was so high, he couldn't relate to this world anymore. Couldn't relate. That, we can't compare ourselves to. And then Yaakov, says emet why emet? emet represents Hashem's signature what's Hashem's signature on? the Torah it's the only thing that can last and that's why Micha says titen emet liyaakov chesed laavraham you want to get to a point of doing chesed first fulfill the Torah because without the Torah, your chesed won't last and your chesed won't be worth anything. Without the Torah, your yir'ah is also not worth anything because you're not even scared of what you're supposed to be scared of. You can't be scared of Hashem for the right reasons without Torah. You're scared of Hashem because you don't want to lose money. You're scared of Hashem because you don't want to get into a car accident. You're not scared of Hashem because He created you. You're not scared of Hashem because that's one of the 613 mitzvot in the Torah. You're scared of Hashem for the wrong reason. That's not going to last. You're giving tzedakah because you want to look good. You're giving tzedakah because you want to sound good. Not because it's an obligation. Not because the only reason that Hashem gave you money is because He needs you and wants you to give. The only reason you have money is to give it. That's it. It's not because you, Hashem wants you to have a big IRA account. It's not because Hashem wants you to have 
a big hedge fund accountant for you to be known as the you know, greatest investor who dies with $350 million. Then what? Everyone that dies with a lot of money and no actual purpose suffer more than everyone else. Why? Because they still eat themselves up that they didn't spend it. Couldn't enjoy it. So Abba Yochanan is telling us here, you want to get to fulfill the truth, you want to get to a point of fulfilling your purpose, you must learn. Once you learn, stories like the one we have about the stipler don't sound too strange anymore. It's obviously an accomplishment we could only wish to achieve, but it doesn't sound too strange. The stipler Gaon, Rabbi Israel Yaakov um, Kanievsky, was someone extremely special. They say he's one of the last people to have Ruach HaKodesh. But one day somebody came to his house, knocked on the door. They answered the door and says, Oh, I'd like to see the Rav. He says, I'm sorry. He's sleeping. Sleeping. So the guy, you know, mumbled to himself, Stipler is sleeping at 10.30 in the morning? So immediately, obviously, they knew that this doesn't look good. Says, well, you need to know that he just finished studying Torah for 56 hours in a row without stopping. So he has to sleep. 56 hours in a row. No breaks. No, let me check my phone a little bit. Ah, Facebook. Great. Like, like. No, none of that. None of that. Now let me check the baseball game. Psh, they're losing. Ah, let me go back to the Torah. No lunch breaks, no dinner breaks, nothing. 56 hours in a row of learning Torah. To us, it's not even human. We learn 56 minutes, we already think of Gdola Do. 56 hours in a row. Why was he able to study like this? Because he finally understood this Mishnah and he says, It's my purpose. It's why I was created. It's not a choice. Like free choice. It's a choice because it's the only choice. And once we fulfill it, Hashem has enough mercy on us to make us see how good it is and eventually see the salvation. Just like Chizkiah finally saw the salvation like no other, and we'll finish with this story. Chizkiah was in such a level that Chazal says that Hashem said, if He were to bring the Mashiach, it would be Him. Chizkiah Melech, Hezekiah, I think it says in English. Hezekiah is supposed to be Mashiach. Why? He decided one day, that's it. Hashem told us the only reason He created us in this world is to fulfill the Torah. To actually learn Torah. So He put His sword down and He said, anyone who doesn't learn Torah all day, all night, all the time. Not just sometimes. Not 15 minutes a day like your own saying. All day. That's it. No working. No nothing. 
Learn Torah. I'm going to use the sword on him. Everyone has to learn Torah. It got to such a point, the Chazal says, that there was not even a baby, a baby that didn't know all of the halachot of Tara and Tumah, of purity and impurity, which is the most difficult halachot there is, at least to my knowledge. Baby didn't know all these laws. There wasn't even one that didn't know. In the Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin, page 95b, it says that Sancheriv tried to do the same thing as Haman. Anyone that wants to remember this page, know that page 95 is Tzadik Hay, which is the uh, Amud Bet, which is the same uh, Gimatria as Haman. So Sancheriv, the wicked, who conquered according to the Gemara, Conquered the entire world. There was only one small place left called Jerusalem. Tiny little city. Especially in comparison to the rest of the world. Sanchirib had 185,000 generals. Each one of them had their own legion. More than 185,000 soldiers. 185,000 generals that each one of them had their own soldiers. And he brought all of them to Jerusalem. And as soon as he got there, he said, This is Jerusalem. If we spit, we'll drown it. So you know what? Let's just take a rest. Tomorrow we'll conquer it. Well, it can't defend itself. Why? 185,000 generals, the, the length of the army was 400 palsa. 400 parsa, each parsa is two and a half miles approximately, which means the length of the army was 984 miles. Was the size of the army, the camp. 984 miles, which is pretty much almost the distance between here and New York. Chizkiah obviously, they couldn't miss this. It's not like they couldn't see it from the window. They came like a black plague. Just came to town. It's right on the border. Chizkiah is learning his Torah. Got tonight. Okay, I'm finished with Torah. He sees all of these soldiers going against him. Satan decided to give us some music. It's okay, it's okay, I got it. Something like that. It was a good story, they're ruining it. I don't know how to do this. This is like more sophisticated than anything else I can. Take this, please. Thank you. So, <laughs> it's okay. You can just shut it off. So, Chizkiah sees these people. You can't miss a thousand miles worth of people. Reads his Torah, reads his Mishnayot, reads all of his beautiful Torah that he has, learns it Baal Peh. He says, okay, I'm going to sleep. I'm going to sleep. Why? Why is he going to sleep? At least, listen, get nervous, get your army ready, 
sharpen the steel a little bit. Fight for it. Do something. You know what? You don't want to fight because you don't have a chance because they have so many soldiers. Pray. Pray at least. Pray. Do some Tehillim maybe. Do some Tehillim. Shilem Alot. Something. No, he's going to sleep. Why is he going to sleep? So the Shem wrote in this Torah, Hashem Elachem Lachem, Vatem Techarishum. God will fight your wars and you shall remain silent. When shall you remain silent? When did Moshe Rabbeinu say this? We got to Yamsuf. We got to the Sea of Reeds. We left Egypt. We get to the ocean. It's there. It's not splitting. It's not moving. It's a sea. Behind us, desert. Right over the coastline, Egyptians. Rashaim and Rashaim want to kill us. Where are we going to go? Everybody starts crying. Some people want to kill themselves. Some people want to go to war. Some people want to go become slaves. No one knows what to do. Moshe Rabbeinu says, Hashem Elachem Lachem Atem Techarashun. Am Yisrael, you have nothing to worry about. God will fight your wars. You shall remain silent. What do you mean remain silent? We have millions and millions of Egyptians, according to the Midrash in Me'am Loez, 900 million soldiers, Egyptian soldiers, are coming to kill the Jews. 900 million. This is the population of China coming to kill you. Or, or India at this point. It's a huge amount of people coming to kill you. I'm not, I'm not going to be worried. Since you already did what Hashem asked you to do. You left Egypt. Leaving Egypt, that was enough. Why? Because you want to do tshuva. You want to receive the Torah. The 80% of Am Yisrael didn't want to do tshuva. Didn't want to do what the Torah says. They died. In the plague of darkness. That's why it says Hamushim. A fifth of Am Yisrael left Egypt. What happened to the other four fifths, which is 80%? They all died. Hashem killed them. They didn't want to do tshuva. Hashem says, I don't need you then. You want to accept my Torah? I don't need you. So only 20% survived. You survived because you're already doing Hashem's will. You already did Mesirut Nefesh. You already tried. You already got here. Once you did Ritzon Hashem, you have nothing to worry about. Because at this point, once you've shown some Mesirut Nefesh to do the will of Hashem, He promised to do His, his, his job. His job is to make sure you're going to be okay. He'll fight your wars. It's not Tzal that's going to win the wars. It's not the, the, uh, the uh, dome that they have that's going to win the wars. It's not our allies in America that's going to win the wars. It's not our weapons and our minds that are going to win the wars. It's only Avinu Sheba Shemaim that's going to win the wars. The sooner we realize that, the sooner we're going to start winning the war. But until we understand that without Avinu Sheba Shemaim, we already lost the war... We're going to continue losing every day. Am Yisrael got it. They were put into a situation where they were forced to get it, but nonetheless they got it. Same thing with Chizkiah. Chizkiah got it. He didn't have to get to the point of the Red Sea, of the uh, Re- uh, Sea of Reeds. Because he was already learning Torah. He was already fulfilling it. He was already forcing everyone else to, to learn Torah. So he says, I'm going to sleep. Because I did my job. I tried. 
You gave me Gemara, I learned Gemara. You gave me Chumash, I learned Chumash. You gave me Shuchan Aruch, I learned Shuchan Aruch. You gave me Torah, I learned it. Did I understand it? Did I become big? Did I become small? Did I give Shurim? No, I'm some basic guy. I just did what I could. I did what I could. You told me study, I studied. You told me mitzvot, I did the mitzvot the best that I can. I didn't create any excuses. I didn't make up any new laws. I didn't say I don't agree with the Rambam. I didn't say I don't think Rabbi Akiva knows what he's talking about. I didn't say this four-day holiday is too long for me. I didn't make up any rules. You said it, I did it. War, that's your problem, God. I'm going to sleep. And he went to sleep. And Hashem said he's right. When you're eating the fruits and vegetables, go take a look at those soldiers for me. That's what he said. So Malach Gavriel came down, and after he heated up, meaning helped the fruits apparently and the vegetables grow, he also heated up the soldiers. Only thing is that heating up the soldiers had a different effect. He killed all of them. Millions and millions of people died in an instant. Only ones that were left were Sancheriv and his sons. That's it. And his two sons, they wanted to run away, but Sancheriv says, no, no, you know what, let's go worship our God. Let's worship idol worship. Maybe he's going to turn things around. And how is he going to worship him? I'm going to give you two as sacrifices. Give both of his sons sacrifices. Two sons says, what? You give us a sacrifice? We're going to make you a sacrifice. So they killed him. Once we realize that the number one weapon we have is the Torah, we already won. We have nothing to worry about. We won as a nation and we won as individuals. Whether you need to win in order to build your Bet Knesset, build your Keilah, build your financial life, build refuah in your life, get salvation in one way or another, get healing one way or another, get Hashem to acknowledge that you are a righteous son or daughter. It's simple. You have a Torah, you have an instruction set, follow it, and you're guaranteed to win. Any questions? Baruch Adonai Amen Amen.